0: .com slash Thrive for 20% off your first order.
1: Battleground Productions presents Brass, the audio series, episode 21, Post-Apocalypse. The year is 1885, but not one that would be familiar to you, for this is a world that differs in many ways from the one in our history books and while it is a place of optimism and scientific enlightenment, today is a dark day for the British Empire. It is a solemn September evening in London, and a glorious autumn has turned, almost overnight, into a deep and dark funereal grey. In the nave of Westminster Abbey, the Archbishop has just stepped down from the podium to make way for Edward, the Prince of Wales, the presumptive heir to the Crown.
2: The Brass family were our heroes. I do not simply mean the times that they saved our capital, our people, our empire from malefactors. I mean that they saved me personally. As a young man, a friend named Benjamin Brass inspired me. His high sense of duty to his nation was unmatched by anyone I had ever met. And when he saw how I was conducting myself, he said, Bertie, I must ask. How can you waste such an extraordinary opportunity as your life? He, as much as my father, made me the man I am today, just as he and his family made our nation the undisputed envy of the world. Our sorrow at his death, along with his wife, Lady Madeline, and their two extraordinary children, Cyril and Gwendolen, seems at times insupportable. And it is only the knowledge of the many lives saved through their heroic actions that gives their tragic death any hint of meaning. For at this time we all, each of us, have questions to which there are no comforting answers. Why would the god of our fathers allow such destruction to be visited upon these people? Why do the good suffer while the evil prosper? Why did they hand the eulogy to Bertie?
3: Quiet.
4: He's not exactly a gifted speaker.
3: I admire his elocution.
4: I wonder if they've got anyone in those coffins? Obviously not, Cyril. You mean they're just for show? Seems a waste of four perfectly good coffins.
3: Cyril, this is a funeral. Be respectful. It's our funeral, though, Mother. And I'm dead bored. Better dead bored than dead. A good
4: point, my dear which I'll admit I thought we all were when we ran down into my basement lab mere seconds before that bomb dropped on our house.
3: All right, let's hear it. What? Your plan. Yes.
4: She was to ask if any of you had a plan.
3: Really, Father?
4: It's a plan. Well?
3: Uh, fortunately, yes. Follow me. What is that? The tunnel I had installed in our absence. Without telling me! Giving your unhealthy attraction to miniature airships, I saw little point. Where's it lead? Out of here. I'm going first. There's a river down there. I notice! And a boat! Hurry! I hope the current is swift. We don't have long.
4: Goodbye, laboratory. They will pay for this.
3: Ah. Best if we make our way out before the recessional. Can't we stay to see who else cries? No.
4: Come along, family. Down this nave and out that door.
3: The Lord Byron Memorial.
4: Our greatest Prime Minister.
3: His poetry's
4: not bad either.
3: Immaterial. Without his vision, the technocratic party would never have taken Parliament.
4: Let us be true to his vision of a better world. Hurry, our cab is waiting.
3: Isn't it in poor taste to have funeral bunting on our own carriage, father?
4: Today, it is the best chance to go unnoticed through London streets. Get in, family.
3: Wait. Who is the driver? I don't recognize him. Me, ma'am. Ah.
4: Drake. Uncannily good disguise, Drake. Oh,
3: I'm sure that Lady Brass saw right through it. Indeed. In, children. There's a hamper there for Mr. Cyril and anyone else who would like to partake in a light lunch.
4: Ah, thank you, Drake.
3: You're welcome, sir.
4: Where to? The terminus bolt hole. But make it circuitous, just to be safe. Yes, sir. Family, it is time to let you in on our next plan.
3: I reckon it is being overdue. Very overdue.
4: Ah, roast chicken. We are facing an enemy of infinite ruthlessness and significant resources who was able to organize the disparate criminal classes of this city into an army. What's worse, he has managed to do something that should be impossible. He outthought us.
3: He didn't outthink me. Mother, he blew up our house. But we are still alive.
4: Thanks to your mother's foresight, yes.
3: Hard-boiled eggs, bronson pickle.
4: We must be clear, this is a terrible setback property was destroyed and lives were lost even if not our friends and acquaintances
3: to my reckoning the loss of life was limited to those trying to kill us with perhaps an unlucky civilian or two in the mix if they hadn't wanted to lose lives they should have stayed away from us oh cheddar cyril don't be such a hog pass me some chicken children I know you're hungry, but pay attention to your father. No,
4: if they would rather eat lunch than discuss our strategy. Father, we would prefer to do both. Very well. Pass me a couple of those eggs. I lost my entire wardrobe with that bomb.
3: I lost my journals. And my jewelry. And my knives. I
4: lost my laboratory.
3: Oh, and mother, your library. I had read everything worth reading.
4: But all of our household survived, as did we, though by the skin of our teeth. Ever since our return to London, we have been outmaneuvered, outfought, and pressed to our limits. At last, we have an advantage.
3: What, Father? Everyone thinks we're dead.
4: Precisely. Outside of us and Drake, everyone in the world believes the Brass family deceased. At some point, this will no longer be true, but before it is... We must press our advantage with the Crime Minister. Now let's review. What have we learnt about our enemy? He pays
3: well, and he punishes failure with death. Greed and fear. An effective recipe for maintaining loyalty. He has access to considerable funds.
4: Yes, and an organization that can disperse them widely and effectively. He was able to
3: outfit dozens of men with firearms and other weapons. That suggests an armory. Several aspects of the assault demonstrated military strategy. Superior military
4: strategy, my dear. I would have been hard-pressed to arrange a more forceful and surprising assault on as many fronts.
3: He was able to infiltrate a spy into our household staff. I would have thought that impossible.
4: According to Mrs. Drake, the boy came with impeccable credentials, including government clearance.
3: That is correct, sir. Then either forgers or contacts inside the government. Let us assume both. Anything else? Madeline? I only have two sources for this story. Let's call it a rumour, then. According to my contacts, the principal way the crime minister maintains his anonymity is by conducting his business in a pitch-dark room.
4: What does that mean? Perhaps his face is so
3: hideous he prefers the shadows. Don't be ridiculous, Cyril. If that was the case, he'd simply wear a mask... You'd think so, but... What it means is that he's extraordinarily cautious and clever. If no one, not even his top lieutenants, is certain of his identity... It makes betrayal well nigh impossible.
4: That is his great advantage. We still don't know his true identity. But he doesn't know we're alive. To keep our advantage, it will be necessary for us to disappear. To where? for both security and efficiency, we have several destinations... Cyril and I shall go to the continent. There are agents there who I would trust with my life and whose skill in espionage will be invaluable.
3: What shall Mother and I do, Father?
4: We shall need allies at home and must begin re-establishing our local network. But to do so under the very nose of our enemy will require the utmost skill in disguise and deception. That's why it's best that you two remain in England.
3: We shall miss you, dear. But I agree it's the best plan. Your accent work is rusty and Cyril dislikes using disguises.
4: What's the point of a fashionable wardrobe if you're always wearing something else?
3: Where shall you go first, Father?
4: That remains to be determined, my dear. We'll consult maps and timetables when we reach the bolt hole.
3: And reacquaint ourselves with the costumes and makeup stored there. Why, oh, why can't I go through one season of dresses without having to go incognito?
4: At least I can finally get out of this waistcoat. I've been wearing the same one for three days now, and I feel like a tradesman. Make no mistake, family. The road ahead of us is long, and there is much at stake. Not just our lives, but those of our countrymen.
3: countrywomen,
4: Britons. You are my family, and I love and trust each of you. But now we must love and trust each other as comrades at arms.
3: Invariably, how I think of you anyway.
4: Thank you, my dears. Mrs. Drake?
3: Sir? Might you have... A bottle of bubbly, sir. I foresaw the need for either solace or celebration. I think it's a bit of both. Glasses are in the hamper, sir. So they are.
4: Might you make the toast, my dear?
3: To our family. The most distinguished to ever be eulogised in Westminster Abbey. Fortune to our friends, and confusion and catastrophe to our foes.
4: To the Brasses.
1: (laughs) Yet even as the Brass family make their somewhat merry way to their hidden sanctuary, the man responsible for their supposed demise is about to greet a new acquaintance in the dark recesses of a foreboding tenement in the heart of London's most treacherous rookery.
3: In here, your lordship.
5: There? But it's pitch black.
3: That's how he likes it. Now in you go.
5: Now, look here. Why should I... Do you
3: really need me to show you?
5: I suppose not. Hello? Lord Oswald
6: Trent. I'm delighted to meet you. Oh, thank you. And who are you? Someone potentially very useful to you. In what sense? I believe you have certain financial embarrassments.
5: Uh debt or two around town with various merchants, but... I'm not referring to your bill at the grocer's or the haberdasher's, Lord Trent. If this is about the winter gardens, I can explain. Me and the lads indulged a bit too freely of the champagne, and before we knew it... Please... They... Lord Trent, let us speak as men.
6: You are guilty of far more than a few fleeting indiscretions and the occasional night out with the boys.
5: I don't know what you mean.
6: My sources tell me that you do. You have the tastes of an... Epicurean. Is that not so?
5: I... uh, I don't know what that is.
6: It refers to Epicurus, the noted Greek philosopher.
5: Bit of a saucy
6: fellow, eh? He espoused enjoyment of the everyday in life, though his own tastes were fairly modest. You... On the other hand, you've sauciness in spades, haven't you?
5: Well, I do like an occasional foray into wine, women, and song. What man of substance does not? I've a weakness for the fair sex.
6: Indeed, as well as prostitutes, other people's wives and fortunes, gambling, and certain illicit, though not strictly speaking, illegal substances...
5: I don't know where you've been getting your information.
6: From the men who supply your vices. I have their itemized bills sitting in front of me.
5: Look here. If this is some sort of effort to blackmail me... (laughs) Lord
6: Trent, I'm not here to extort you for money. You have none. I'm someone who believes in your potential. I'm here to help you climb out of your debts toward a life with more money, power, and prestige than you have ever thought possible.
5: I am a lord, you know. I'm not exactly lacking in prestige. You are not. And it is because of your hereditary title that we are speaking.
6: Where would we be as a nation if not for our peers? Can you imagine how grey and uninteresting our fair country would be if we were to ever lose the aristocracy? The wheels of industry would grind to a halt. Commerce would collapse. A fractious empire would teeter and fall without the protection of our
5: peers. Now, look here. Yes? Well, your tone is rather cutting. (laughs) My
6: apologies. I believe that someone like you is possessed of qualities that are truly... Extraordinary. Oh? Yes. Like your seat in the House of Lords. One that you rarely occupy.
5: Uh, why would I? Politics is the dullest pursuit a man can imagine. Uh, forgive me, but I must contradict you. Politics is fascinating. It's
6: all about one simple desire.
5: Ah? Uh, and what's that?
6: More. More. Whatever it is you want from life, politics is the stairway to more. It is the world on an elevation, a higher reality where the words and actions of a select few translates not into a make-believe story for an audience, but the reshaping of the world. To be a politician is to be an actor, architect, general, scientist, and cardinal all at
5: once. I'm afraid you've got the wrong chap. Uh Oh, Yes. You see, I'm a bit of a wastrel. No interest in politics, and no ambition in that direction either. I see. Yes. I lack what my pater liked to call moral rectitude. I see. I have quite a bouquet of vices. A liar, a cheat, easily bribed, lacking in loyalty, and not the brightest tool in the chandelier, in summation. Not exactly the stuff of which empires are made. You sell yourself
6: short. I was in the gallery and heard your eloquent defense of tariffs on foreign sherry. I was rather good on the topic. No matter that it was in repayment for a sizable bribe from a British sherry consortium.
5: You know about that, do you? Again,
6: receipts... In any case, it is clear you have some skill in elocution. Hmm.
5: It all sounds like a lot of work. It can be. It needn't be. No?
6: With the proper guidance, advice on strategy, an eloquent speechwriter, a loyal staff, and fellows versed in the art of persuasion, any man can attain political eminence with very little effort. All he need do is agree. Agree to what? To affirm certain statements. To attend the occasional benevolent society, embrace a few infants, make some toasts, take part in certain intimate conversations.
5: I'm at my best in a crowd, to be honest. Nonsense. Here you
6: are with me, one-on-one, and you are giving an excellent impression. I'm glad to hear that. Many men grabbed off the street and conveyed to an anonymous address in the heart of London's most foul rookery, then thrust into a pitch-dark room talking to someone they cannot see, who has a full accounting of their every sin and secret, would be positively beside themselves right now.
5: Oh? Positively. Uh, What is it that you want me to do? We shall begin by having
6: you give a speech in Parliament.
5: Oh. Shall I have to write it?
6: (laughs) Of course not. You're far too important a man to be bothered with such a menial task. But you shall deliver it with proper coaching, of course, to the House of Lords. When? Day after tomorrow, I should think. It is of a particularly timely nature.
5: What is it regarding? (laughs) Oh, Lord Trent, it is the topic of the hour...
6: You are going to give a speech demanding an investigation into the death of the Brass family. Ah,
5: I never knew any of them.
6: You clearly have the necessary impartiality to head up such a query. My man Crawford will call this afternoon and begin to work with you on your speech. You'll pick it up in no time.
5: I don't think I'm the...
6: Yes? ...ready... You are the man of the hour, nonetheless, and it is best to accept it. As the immortal bard once said, some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. Thy fates open their hands. Let thy blood and spirit embrace them. Ah! That time already. Goodbye, Lord Trent. We'll talk soon. Goodbye? We're supposed to work with that blockhead. Never has a lack of intelligence interfered with political success. Still, Mr. Crawford, you may have your work cut out for you. Now, on to other matters. Any signs of bodies yet? Of whom, sir? The brasses, of course. And... Such of my men that were worth missing? The entire street was levelled, more or less. Ah. But still, you're looking, aren't you? We've had a gang of men working on it for the last two days. Good. Let me know what you find, when you find it.
4: I shall, sir. But if, as reported, the brasses were in their own when the bomb dropped, there's no way they could have survived. Oh,
6: Mr. Crawford... When it comes to people like the Brasses, there always seems to be a way. Keep your men looking through the rubble for the rest of the week. I won't truly believe they're dead until I've seen them laid out on a slab.
5: A speech?
1: Parliament? What can this mean? Now that the Crime Minister stands as the undisputed Master of London, what possible ambitions could he have? And is there anyone left who can stop him? Find the answers to at least some of these questions with the next episode of Brass. Brass is manufactured by Battleground Productions and features Kate Cray as Lady Brass, Charles Leggett as Lord Brass, Catherine Grant Sutty as Gwendolyn Brass, and Jeremy Adams as Cyril Brass, with Larry Albert... Margie Bickman, Lisa Carswell, Yusuf Elgindi, Nancy Fry, Ronnie Hill, Philip Keeman, John Longenbar, Matt Middleton, Terry Edward Moore, Tad Morgan, and Nikki Vissel. Brass was recorded at Seattle Voice Academy, engineered by Shauna Pennington Bard and Chris Leah, with sound designed by Kirsty Gilmore and music composed by Bruce Monroe. It was written and directed by John Longenbar. For more information on Brass, go to battlegroundproductions.org, Find us on Facebook and Instagram. And to support us, fund us on Patreon. And leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.